never say die! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 227 of Fortigon on 14. I am Baritone Mike. <laughs> I am Beanbag. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And by Grabthar's hammer, I'm sad that Alan Rickman died. Aw. He yeah. will be avenged. Aww. Now I'm sick and sad. Yeah, but, uh, I was going to say, I, I hadn't thought about it in a while. At least not since the last Harry Potter marathon. But uh, yeah, watching this again definitely brought it full force back. I'm oh, factoid yeah. about Alan Rickman. Uh, my my mother, you all know my mom. She has two crushes: Patrick Stewart and Alan Rickman. At the same time, <laughs> she May, likes distinguished gentlemen. That explains your that explains her husband. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> On that note. You're saying she what? went against type for her husband. That's all. He's the opposite of both of them. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, it's like I had an ex-girlfriend that was uh, was big into like uh, skinny heroin chic tattooed guys. I'm like, well, I can see why you're with me. Because <laughs> no. you look just like the bean bags yeah. that those skinny heroin chic guys lay on in the yeah. pictures. Because I look just like. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. If, if you like guys that look like beanbags, you'll probably <laughs> like the Podcast Collective. This is the most appropriate one we've had in months. <laughs> oh, I'm a beanbag. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, those shows include On the Block, Joel's Own, The Sunshine Happy Pants Hour. You can also hear from Joel with Killer Wilba in the Coffin Joe cast. You cannot hear from Joel in I Am Salt Lake. And, of course, there's the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Red Dead! Today, by the way... Wait, I figured I'd get the voicemail out of the way, too. Of the Coffin Joe cast. Wait, what are you doing again? Today is the fourth anniversary of the Coffin Joe cast. We started four years ago today. Holy cow. What did you buy it? Did you get him anything? A cock ring. You got him that last year, dude. Bigger cock ring. They're always appropriate, though. That's true. And he got you that nice lamington. See, none of you are from Australia. That would have killed in Australia. <laughs> right now, Killer's like, oi. So, uh, is, he, is, is, that how, is that his response? No, that's my response. <laughs> Me being Australian, on the, every time I come on, I say, oi. He doesn't say it. I don't think I've ever heard him say, oi. No, not unless I've never heard Joel say, oi, until now. You don't listen, that's why. That's true. So, uh, yeah. If you're looking for our older stuff, more of this iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com, and uh, 708NowRap, uh, 708-669-9727, if you want to leave us a voicemail like this. Don't want to do that for weeks. Who the hell? I have no idea who that was. <laughs> I, th- I thought somebody just recorded some street cats fighting. <laughs> no, but I am now going to keep that on a button. For every time we do Red Dead Radio Hour, that's going to be the... <laughs> An official part of the show. The goal is to get the guy who does the Red Dead Radio Hour to finally call in and leave us a voicemail. That would be cool. Right? Somebody make that happen. Joel, you're in every other podcast in the planet. <laughs> you probably you know him. connections on that network? I do. Let's see. It looks like his... You could be like, I've gotten five of the podcasts to sign a contract saying you have to do this. Don't tell him four of them are yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like uh, his last show was February 1st, so he's still around. Oh, right. We don't, don't have a left-field sports lounge case. 
Uh, the saddest thing about the Left Field Sports Lounge when we were promoting them is it took us like a year of promoting them every week before we realized their show was defunct. Yeah. Sorry, guys. They were absorbed. But I'm sure the eight shows that you have, everyone enjoyed. Maybe. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, I'm, I'm still convinced we, we promoted them far longer than they were ever actually recording anything. True. So uh, this week, we were going to be appearing at LodgeCon 2017 until... Uh, Jack Frost. Yeah, Jack Frost decided to poop snow all over Chicagoland. Uh, we are expecting, wait for it, wait for it, expecting 12 to 17 inches. That's what she said. Yeah, okay, never mind. Although by now, like, by the time people are listening to this, they will know about the snow better than we do. Yeah. True. Because they it will be the exact it. amount that came. And they'll they'll also know that we weren't at LodgeCon, but I guess this is more of an explanation rather than a warning. <laughs> they'll be yeah. like, this was their last recording before the snow killed them all. Yeah. If you were hoping to see us at LodgeCon, joke's on you. We were never going to go in the first place. <laughs> That's not true. We were. Gonna I was going to say, Patrick <laughs> can make that joke. He paid real money for a plane ticket that he can't use because of a fucking blizzard. Right? Yep, that was fun. $300 down the drain. Ah, yeah, shit. You, you bought and paid for that joke. You can keep it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. George Costanza. You know, with the bereavement fair. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about that. I could alter the date on my dad's death certificate. Jesus Christ. Here we go. <laughs> no, no, his name was John Whaley. <laughs> Jesus Christ, not that one. <laughs> yeah, I can't find that death certificate. <laughs> oh my God. It is so about that time. Yeah, it's about that time. <laughs> this week in music, movies, and TV. <laughs> All right, then. Um, so, December 25th, 1999. The country is gripped with Y2K panic. What are our computers going to do? Everything's going to crash. Everything's going to explode. And then nothing really happened. Except, Let's go watch Galaxy Quest now that we're I not there. Galaxy Quest came out. Because yeah. I, I was just totally like, why the fuck are we talking about Y2K? We're doing the Galaxy Quest. They explained <laughs> it to me. <laughs> yes, Galaxy Quest came out December 25th, 1999. Christmas. Come see a movie before you all die. Oh. So. That was your tagline, I think. <laughs> Bring your red shirt. The top <laughs> three songs in the land are, at number three, the acronym of the week, I-W-L-Y-F. I will lick your feet. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's actually correct, yeah, by Jessica Simpson. <laughs> we're, we're just going to let that go. Um no, that was what is it? I what is it? I wanna love you forever. I wanna I wanna love you forever. Yeah, I, I don't I, even know that song. That's Jessica Simpson, man. Yeah, true. Number two, back at one. I didn't know she sang for years. <laughs> Some Sorry. people still don't. She has yeah. a uh, voice. No, <laughs> right? She's got a set of lungs. Uh, at number two, back at one by Brian McKnight, and at number one, smooth by Santana, featuring Rob Thomas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a 1999 song. Oh, yeah. I'm not afraid to admit I love that song. Yep. Back at one? No. (laughs) (laughs) I want to lick your feet? Yep. (laughs) That's my favorite. Show is all over the goddamn map. (laughs) No, there's there's no shame in liking anything by Santana. 
No, not at all. You put Santana with whoever it is on the end of it, and you've got 80% of a good song right there. I mean, even I, I love the Santana Michelle Branch song. Really? Santana featuring Chad Kroger. <laughs> Santana and Roger. <laughs> Take your photograph. <laughs> I don't know. What? <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> You already forgot who Roger is after last week? No, I did. I was singing. That was Chad Kroger. <laughs> Santana and Limp Biscuit. <laughs> that be, that's, a, that's a good challenge for us. What are the worst Santana combos you could make? Got a motherfucking chainsaw. Santana and, and, uh, Santana and Zomfear. I'd listen to that. Santana and John Tesh. Ooh. Santana and Takeo Ishii. Hey. They're Yodo Casanova. Ah. The other guy, the Russian guy. Santana and Lil Uzi Vert. Oh. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Nothing good can come of that. No no amount of Santana can fix that. And I think that I think that's that finishes the conversation. <laughs> yep. Josh wins. Uh, Clarence Eugene Hank Snow was a celebrated Canadian country music artist. In a career that spanned more than 50 years, he recorded 140 albums and charted more than 85 singles on the Billboard Country Charts from 1950 until 1980. His number one hits include the self-penned songs, I'm Moving On, The Golden Rocket, The Rumba Boogie, and famous versions of I Don't Want to Hurt Anymore, Let Me Go, Lover, I've Been Everywhere, and Hello, Love, among as other top 10 hits. He died in his home at 79 years old on December 20th and was promptly absorbed. Just in case you didn't know, here's a little rumba boogie. Here's the singing ranger, Hank Snow. Welcome all you children, give a listen to me, let me tell you about a new boogie beat. There's no hesitation, it's sweeping the nation. It's the boogie woogie down the South American way. That's pretty. I would listen to that. Yeah, I like that. That kind of reminds me of uh, uh, Flowers on the Wall. Oh, a little bit, yeah. You know, kind of have that same that same genre. I mean, the the uh, the the video that I just pulled up, it was him on look like um, Hee Haw. Little Hoyt axe tonight. Yeah. Also, uh, on December twenty seventh, Puff Daddy and fellow rapper Shine were arrested for weapons violations and other charges after a shooting in a Manhattan nightclub that left three people injured. Okay. Yep. Yep, that happened. That was a thing. And, and finally, Curtis Mayfield was an American singer, songwriter, guitarist, and record producer, and one of the most influential musicians behind soul and politically conscious African American music. Born in Chicago in 1942, he started his career in a gospel choir. He then met Jerry Butler and began the group The Impressions. Known for such socially charged songs as People Get Ready, he also wrote the soundtrack to the black exploitation film Superfly in 1972. And eventually got placed at number 72 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. He was paralyzed from the neck down after lightning equipment fell on him in 1990, but went on to release what would be his last album, New World Order, in 1996. Winning a Grammy, legend... Wait, let me start over. Oh, you were so close. I know. (laughs) Winning a Grammy Legend Award and Lifetime Achievement Award and a two-time Grammy Hall of Fame inductee, he passed away on December 26, 1999 at the age of 57 from complications of type 2 diabetes and was absorbed into glucose. Joel stops himself at the Grammy thing, but uh, let himself go with lightning equipment. Yeah, I know. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I noticed I said 
Mm. Everything happened in December, though, so shut up. <laughs> it's funny, though. We just discussed this uh, him the other day, too, for something. Yeah. Like a, it was one or two episodes ago. Yeah. No, it was when everything fell in 1990. It was like the last show. Yeah, that was. I think it was the the incident, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, um, great, great music all around. Indeed. Yes. Uh, moving on to movies. Movies released this week are, of course, Galaxy Quest. I don't know why I need a couple in between <laughs> Galaxy and Quest, but Galaxy Quest, Magnolia, The Talented Mr. Ripley, and Angela's Ashes. You're, you're, you're getting like some radio interference on your own. I guess. <laughs> I have seen one of these movies. I have seen three of these movies and own two of them. Hmm. I've seen two. I've seen two. Unfortunately, mine was not Galaxy Quest. (laughs) (laughs) Mike's like, I skipped it this week. Yeah, I watched Magnolia. I was confused as fuck. (laughs) You watched Angela's Ashes twice. What does this have to do with Yorville? (laughs) There's no space. (laughs) There's just ashes. And depression. (laughs) And lots of alcohol. Smells like grandma. I'm before it at this point. This cold is taking the shit out of me right now. I haven't had coffee since Sunday, and I haven't had a drink since last Friday. Ugh. I'm not a happy camper. How are you living? Not with, well. Not well, <laughs> yes. With, with something called throat coat tea. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I got some throat coat tea for you. Okay, yeah, you... moving on to 1944 <laughs> Bristol, Gloucestershire was the birthplace of Peter Jeffrey, a veteran of the Bristol Old Vic and Royal Shakespeare Company, and he went on to perform in Tango, a play by Slavomir Mrozek at the Aldwych Theatre. His television performances include two guest appearances in Doctor Who as the Colony Pilot in the Macra Terror, 1967, and as Count Grendel in the Androids of Tara in 1978. It is reputed he had been offered the role of the lead character in the show by Innes Lloyd in 1966, but turned it down. Patrick Troughton was cast instead. He also played Inspector Trout in The Abominable Dr. Fibes and Dr. Fibes Rises Again. In 1988, he played the villainous Sultan in the fantasy epic The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. But on Christmas Day 1999, he passed away from prostate cancer. Absorbed. Uh, the Androids of Tara is a great Tom Baker episode. <laughs> wow. Me not ever reading ahead in the tweet. That one was a minefield. <laughs> <laughs> you going to read, read ahead on this one, Josh? Now nah, just wing it. What could happen? Hey, nah, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with how that one turned yeah, out. Right. I thought, I thought Slatimir Molzak. Than you, than you did in the first one. Yeah, well, I thought, uh, yeah, I screwed up yeah. on Galaxy Quest in the first one. <laughs> I mean, that's our topic. You should be used to talking about that. You passed the lighting round, so you're good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, so TV. On this day, an unknown comedian named Jerry Seinfeld marries Jessica Sklar and learns more about what the deal is with marriage. I'm not doing that, Joel. <laughs> you're in. What's the deal with marriage? I, I can. The, the only impersonation I can do right now is Bob's Burgers. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, you sound a little like H. John Benjamin right now. Yeah, when I'm sick, I turn to H. John Benjamin. So, so, <laughs> turn oh, into Barry White. So through the whole, this whole week, I've been looking at the girls I'm like, I love you all, but you're all terrible. I could fire, <laughs> if I could fire you, I would. 
Um, right. <laughs> uh, Clayton Moore was an African um, African. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Uh, Clayton Moore was an American actor best known for playing the fictional Western character The Lone Ranger from 1949 to 1951 and from 1954 to 57 on the television series of the same name and two related movies of the same producers. On December 28, 1999, in a West Hills, California hospital, after suffering a heart attack at his home in nearby Calabasas, he rode Silver off into his final sunset. I owe Silver absorbed. I had a Lone Ranger action figure. Me too. Me too. Uh, got me the odd man out. I did not have one. With the big white horse silver yep. that had the legs you could move around and yeah, all that shit. Yeah. I had that and I had my three three ones I remember. I had that one. I had um, the $6 million man where you could look yep. through the back of his head. Yes. Yep. Okay, I had the $6 million <clears throat> man. And I had and a, the evil Knievel that you could crank up and shoot him. Oh, yeah. Remember, you pump it up and he would zoop. Yeah, that was cool. Yep. I also had a uh, Fonz. Action figure. Really? Yeah. Did it come with a jukebox? No, it came with he had he had uh, thumbs. <laughs> what? Came with a life vest. He had he had hinged thumbs so you could have his thumbs go up, <laughs> and he had a lever on his back that you would pull down, and he would go yay. <laughs> that sounds like the lamest toy. <laughs> Shut up, man. Fonz is awesome. Oh yeah, but I mean, foldable thumbs—that's your thing. No. Well, I mean, what else could he do? I mean, it's not they made the toy before he jumped the shark. Oh, good point. The toy was yeah. part of the shark jumping. Ah, I had a motorcycle. Shark, yeah, shark jump action playset. Moving on. That as soon as I did it, I was like, oh, it turned into ZZ Top. <laughs> Moving on to sports. <laughs> on, December, <laughs> on December 27th, against the St. Louis Blues, Joe Sakic earned an assist become the 56th player in NHL history to reach 1,000 career points. He played his entire 21-year NHL career with the Quebec Nordiques slash Colorado Avalanche franchise where he won two Stanley Cups. Is that's that a- all we have for sports. Man. Yeah, that's that's a lot of fucking points. Okay. That's a whole bunch of points. Well, yeah, when you th- There's probably only two people that have more than that, I think. Well, when you think about like hockey scores, which are like three to two, hmm. 1,000 is a lot. But I, I mean, you you also get points for assists. You don't necessarily you don't only get points for goals. Still. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's still a lot. Don't don't. Yeah, you know, there's there's probably only there's definitely less than ten people with a thousand goals in the history of of the ML, MLB. Why did I almost say that? NHL. The MHL. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say it. I, I almost did. Yeah, because I started saying MLB. The Meat the Hockey SLC. League. MLB. What? The National Hockey League. National. <laughs> Hockey Neek? <laughs> if you're going to mess it up, do it big. You screwed up your own joke. Shut up, Beanbag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's rough. That'll not do it. Yeah, it shouldn't r- totally redeem him that he just insults Pat out of nowhere, but it did. <laughs> right? It was a good one. That was funny. <laughs> beanbag. Please, please don't let that be the one nickname that finally sticks for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> oh shit. I'm I'm taking your voice out on the edit now. I'm beanbag and. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, take us out, keyboard Joel. <laughs> I had not I had not remembered that Galaxy Quest came out on Christmas. 
but I do remember going to see it. In the theater? Yeah. Yeah, same here. I saw it with my parents. Really? I didn't see it. I was was home for Christmas break, and this was a movie I saw with them. Yeah. Yeah. I have a shocking confession to make. Is this the first time you ever saw it? All the way through, yes. I've seen most of it in bits and pieces, but I've actually, until for this show, never sat down and watched through it beginning to end. Wow. Well, let's go over this then. This is uh, directed by Dean Parasot. Known for uh, Red 2, Fun with Dick and Jane, uh, and a couple episodes. He does a lot of TV, so he's got a couple episodes of Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which I've been watching and I think it's fantastic. And he's going to be involved with Bill and Ted Face the Music, the third in the Bill and Ted movies. I'm actually vaguely looking forward to that, even though I didn't like the second one. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. I still won't see it. We've got to get you I to see the one. First two. What? Wait, you've never seen the first one? Never seen the first two? No. It's Keanu Reeves. I don't see it. You got to get over that, man. You really do. Yeah, no. You really do. No. You, you're he's stuck. No, he's no Will Arnett. Well, no, but they're two different kind of actors. And John Wick is legit amazing. Yeah, it is. John Wick. You keep saying. John Wick 2, legit amazing. John Wick 3, probably going to be amazing too. So. Uh, this is written by David Howard, who has written such other classics as Trek, the movie. Did you say Shrek? No, Trek. Hey, donkey. Yeah. <laughs> hey, donkey. Now, this is Trek follows a young Mormon teenager named Tom and his friends on their handcart journey. Along the way, they try to smuggle in unsanctioned food, battle sibling rivalry, encounter a special ops young men's leader, match wits with a Twinkie-loving skunk, and ponder doctrinal brain teasers like, do general authorities go to PG-13 movies? What? Like I said, Shrek. Yeah, totally. Hey, donkey. That's the plot line to Shrek, right? Yeah, totally was. Uh, yeah, so moving on. <laughs> We're just going to glaze over that. Yeah. Uh, Tim Allen playing Jason Nesmith. Sigourney Weaver as Gwen DeMarco. Alan Rickman. Uh, as Alexander Dane. Tony Shalhoub as Fred Kwan. Sam Rockwell as Guy Fliegman. Daryl Mitchell as Tommy Weber, Enrico Colatoni as Mathazar, Robin Sachs as Ceres, Patrick Breen as Quellick, Missy Pyle as Lolari, Jed Rees as Teb, Justin Long in his first film appearance as Brandon, Mm. and Jeremy Howard as Kyle and Caitlin Cullum as Caitlin. So this, well, let's keep, keep going with the trivia. Sorry. Oh, it's a lot of trivia. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of cool stuff about this movie. Uh, Sam Rockwell based his portrayal on Bill Paxton's performance in James Cameron's classic Aliens, in particular the hysterical fear of being killed, his mental collapse upon seeing a motion detector that shows their enemy closing in on them. Nice. I, I think I think we're the we're the green <clears throat> thing. <laughs> he Sam Rockwell did an amazing job in this movie. You can say that for just about anything he's ever been in. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. He's he's an amazing character actor and just he he, he gets absorbed in everything he does. Mm. He's and, dead. What? Not that ah. kind of absorbed. Oh. Uh, although Alan Rickman hated sci-fi as a genre, he could not resist taking part in the film as he found the material so funny. And thank you very much because he made he I think he was fifty percent of the movie for me. For sure. Um, Tony Shalhoub kind of runs away with it. Uh, that's the other half. Yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, just after the crew arrives via the pods, the Thurmans appear without their appearance generators. When the captain asks, who wants a tour? At least Sigourney Weaver did not know that Guy was going to scream in terror as he did. You can see a very real reaction from her at that moment. <laughs> and that was a great moment. <laughs> that, that whole... I don't know if that was the, like the direction or the editing, but the timing on that was perfect. I think a little 50-50. Uh, so in theaters, the first 20 minutes of the film presented in 1.851 widescreen image. When Tim Allen first realizes he's on a real spaceship, they change the uh, vista to and widen the screen to 2.351. That's nice. cool. Yeah. So that's and in in the theaters you can you completely see it. I mean if you're watching it on DVD or Blu-ray you're really not going to pick it up, but on this one it's going to be. I remember that scene, you know, chain everything, visually changing in the movie. So um, Patrick Stewart commented, "I had not originally wanted to see Galaxy Quest because I heard that it was making fun of Star Trek." Then Jonathan Freaks called me up and said, you must not miss this movie. See it on Saturday night in a full theater. And I did. And of course, I found it brilliant. Brilliant. No one laughed louder or longer in the cinema than I did. But the idea that the ship was saved and all of our heroes in that movie were saved simply by the fact that there were fans who did understand the scientific principles on which the ship worked was absolutely wonderful. And it was both funny and touching and paid tribute to the dedication of these fans. Whoever I didn't think of it this, that way, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. That whole <laughs> that whole scene through the through the mashing whatever, and she's like, "Whoever wrote this episode yeah. should be fired." Yeah. Who who built a ship like this? <laughs> uh, the film was one of the earliest to have its own internet domain and website, GalaxyQuest.com. Though now it's only on the uh, Wayback Machine. However, rather than being a polished part of the film's marketing. The site, in keeping with the fandom theme, was deliberately designed to look like a fan page with screen caps and poor HTML coding. <laughs> so, that's pretty cool. I wonder if that was, like, retroactively the story when they just really screwed the website up. Like, no, it's a fan it's site. Like, yeah, no. I don't know how to code. I didn't, I didn't screw this up at all. <laughs> so, Josh, I'm curious with you. You, are the, you said this is the first time you've seen this all the way through. Yeah, and I really don't have a good reason for that. Like, I knew I would enjoy it. I just never made the time for it in decades past. It just seems so weird to me, though. Right? But I've got movies. I mean, I think everybody's got movies like that. And just haven't you know, seen I mean, them? I, the fact that I still haven't seen The Last Jedi. I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh, this is one that pisses off bad. I haven't seen Gone with the Wind. <laughs> it just makes no sense. Have, I haven't seen no. Gone with the Wind. I have not seen this. You have I have not seen The Godfather. I have not seen The Sound of Music. See, but those no. are like, I mean, people in general should see those. But this is a geek movie, and geek culture is kind of like my life and my identity. I just didn't see this. Yeah. I mean, it's it's odd that you didn't, because this, was, this movie was made for you. Yeah. Right. Very much so. And yeah, seeing it... Uh, Beginning to end for the first time, I appreciate it and uh, thought it was spectacular. Fantastic. Hey, spoilers. spoilers. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Usually uh, it's pretty obvious whether I like a movie or yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can tell by the, the holding back of tears when he's talking about it. No, usually by the couch gag, you can tell. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, um, but no, I mean, honestly, first off, casting in this was... Possibly the, one of the most spot on that I've ever seen. Tim Allen as the Kirk archetype 
Yeah, the, the cocky, cocksure actor slash wannabe captain. Yeah. This might actually be the only thing I like him in. Really? You don't like the Santa Claus? I love the Santa Claus movies. Yeah. They were they were solid. They weren't anything great. Okay, nope. Sorry, Toy Story. Oh, that's true. That's another good point. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you, wait, Wild Hogs. No, uh, see, you lost me. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I think including Sigourney Weaver in here as the communications officer. <laughs> which her character. Which was. When she starts doing it on the real ship. She's like, I've got the stupidest job on this ship. I just repeat what the computer says. I'm doing it. Yeah, when she first realizes, it's like, I'm doing it. It's <laughs> uh, brilliant. So uh, to give you a rundown on the plot. So Tim Allen. Sigourney Weaver and the rest of them are all washed up actors from a old sci-fi flick uh, sci-fi TV show. Very, very reminiscent of Star Trek. Um, they are now their careers have reached a point where they are opening mattress stores and <laughs> waiting on Jason Nesmith to show up and actually do the whatever it is they're contracted to do because he's pretty full of himself. Like yeah, I mean, hammer, what a savings. <laughs> a great bed. Yeah, the con circuit is the way that they're actually making their living, just signing autographs for money. Mm-hmm. And Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, and his just complete despondence on what his life has become. <laughs> I love uh, Tim Allen's introduction too when he comes in. Oh, am I too late for for too late for his panic attack? I'm leaving. No, just in time. <laughs> just in time. <laughs> um, Tony Shalhoub. Though, I mean, Alan Rickman was amazing in that classic actor type of way. Tony Shalhoub is so blissfully ignorant of everything going on around him in this movie. It's amazing. Well, I think he is stoned off his ass up to a certain point. Well, and that's a joke that they, there's a throwaway joke towards the end when Sam Rockwell is about to go in and do a suicide mission. And he what uh, Shalhoub comes up with the alternate plan and, and he just says it as they're passing and he says it under something else that you barely hear, but he goes, dude, are you high? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he actually asks him, and I was like, I never caught that until la- when I watched it on Saturday. Well, I, yeah, because he's wandering off to buy snacks at the beginning, and he is just like ultra zen until it's obvious that they're dangerous monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it his when he's walking around with that bag of chips and when they're out on the uh, the, the rock planet. And he just the giggle that he has when he's like he's just like yeah, yeah this is cool because <laughs> he just immediately buys into the whole like yeah okay we're in space awesome <laughs> yeah or, or after uh, Sam Rockwell has that scream scares the heck out of Scorny Weaver and then he shows up and he's like that was cool <laughs> you know it's but uh, but no it's um it's one of those movies that I just leave on all the time so. But, but moving on with the plot. So they are, at the end of their career, doing this, the con circuit. Then out of the blue, um, what was his name? Which one was it? Ceres? No, it's uh, uh, Mathazar. Mathazar. Enrico Colatani, as Mathazar, shows up and wants them. If you don't know him, he's in uh, AI, Veronica Mars, a bunch of other stuff. Just shoot me. Just shoot me, yeah. Um, yeah. We've we've come to far distance. Yeah, his his cadence is so good. Yeah, and like I don't know how many takes they had to do on so many of his deliveries, but I mean, I don't know how they all kept a straight face. 
Well, and then you've got Rain Wilson in a very brief little spot. And he he's seen later in the in, in with Tony Shalhoub's character in the bridge too. But it's so quick. It's you know it's so early on in his career. It's just you know he's a blip yeah. on the radar. But hmm. it was so fun to see him in there too. This movie is full of like goofy looking people. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, the crew thinks that these guys are cosplayers because they're at a big convention for Galaxy Quest. Hmm. And they want even, even when they show up at his house the next morning. Yeah. Yep. And they want to, they want him to come with him, and he's he's thinking it's another con situation. Yeah, I want you know the limo, I want to pick up that sort of thing. Um, turns out that they're actually a um, a species out there who has been watching the transmissions from the TV show Galaxy Quest and turning everything that they've done on the TV show into actual technology. Yeah, they've based the historical document. Yeah, yes. they've based their entire society on Galaxy Quest and actually have been successful until they meet their first threat. Right. Um, they head up to the ship, which has a great scream moment on there. And then they discover that they are being threatened by Ceres, played by Robin Sachs, uh, who's the big villain of this one. Uh, he's, he's one who looks like he has a face hugger crawling out of his head. <laughs> And um, they basically, they, they hire him on. They want them to come out and show them how to fight. They've seen all these historical documents, and they want them to defend their defend themselves. Well, at first, it's going to be a negotiation, but he thinks he's doing a bit. So what he'd always do in the show is, like, blast the alien to bits. And that, that's how he's mm-hmm. going to handle this situation. Uh, blow the alien ship up and go home. Except yeah. he survived. Yeah. Yeah. And came back. Um, though that, that whole scene where they're in there and he's like, yeah, fire him off, fire two. All right, I'm out of here. You know, it's, he, he keeps that character up. The, uh, um, I'm just going to close my eyes and rest my head here, but I, don't worry. I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> and that whole scene only works because he got himself super drunk because he overheard fans talk about how he's washed up and his friends all hate him and how he's really actually lame and doesn't realize it. Which that actually myth goes. It was in, in the trivia, but I didn't wasn't hundred percent sure about it. The the myth on that one was that plays off of a uh episode where William Shatner was in a bathroom and heard the same conversation. Hmm. So true, not true, who knows, who cares? Um but how many times have you Pat Joel, I mean, outside of the one time, how many times have you seen this movie? Uh, no idea. This is like, um, for my biological side, this is like a thing. Like, it's part of the family tradition, this movie. So I've seen it numerous times. This is my fourth time. Huh. Yeah, I, I'm, with, I'm with Joel on this one. I can't even I can't even think how many times I've seen this movie. Um, it's just so much fun. Now, one of the things that I did read about this and going over info is that initially the first take of this was a lot darker and wasn't as didn't exactly have a happy ending and they played that one out and apparently test studios didn't like it and they went they went back and did it again with a little bit more uh, jovial and got a pg-13 rating when apparently it had an r rating to start out with well there was one scene i noticed when uh they first came upon the chompers i think that's what they were called right yeah oh where's um they overdub Sigourney Weaver because if you watch her lips, she says 
she says, I think she's like, uh, what the fuck or something yeah. like that. <laughs> she definitely says fuck, you yeah. know, and, and they overdubbed it. Interesting. So that was in all cuts. I thought it was just the version I watched. No. That's, Cause that's I a saw thing. that. I, I yeah. noticed it. Yeah. But the, the amazing thing is, I mean, I mean, the, the funny thing is about this is that they, these, I forgot the name of the, the name of the uh, creatures. Do they, what were they called? Oh, On the, the termite? The yeah. Termite? The Therm- termites. The termites. Yeah, the Thermians. The Thermians. Okay. The Thermians built this entire ship all around what they had seen off the off the TV show. So all these ridiculous tropes that we had from the original Star Trek where Kirk had to get to the uh, the end to turn off the doomsday machine. And, of course, there's crushers and slicers and laser beams and all that before from point A to point B. And it's his ship. You know, why would they have that sort of thing in there? I mean, there's all these really kind of weird... Um, nonsensical tropes. Yeah, but sometimes it works because the actors, the controls were based on their movements in the show, so they've got the muscle memory to actually sort of do it. Maybe not perfect on the first time. Oh, yeah, like uh, Tommy Weber when he first starts piloting the ship. Right. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, I remember remember playing this because he was a kid when he was in the the show, and uh, he he has a flashback to... He would pretend to fly the ship by doing certain things on the on the console, and it all comes back to him, and he's he's flying. Speaking of which, that scene where he's scraping the side of the of yeah. the uh, the, uh, the when he's leaving, that part mm-hmm. is just brilliant. How everybody starts, you know, Sigourney and Tim Allen, they both start leaning, and like, <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for a "shut up, Tommy" moment that never came. You know, like "shut up, Wesley." Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought they were going to throw that in at some point, but it never, you know. I thought Tommy was a lot, even even looking at the old shows, he was a lot easier to live with than uh, Wesley. Not <laughs> <laughs> less insufferable. True. Yeah, I've always thought that was the one joke, one joke that they missed. Yeah, but I don't think that that is a meme. Like, it was big in 99. Like, there were shirts, but I don't know. I don't know if it was big enough to warrant might have, inclusion. Yeah, it might have been movie. might have been too big of a cut and would have seemed too mean since a lot of people didn't know it. Mm. Yeah, too deep of a cut. All <laughs> right, so things just kind of petered out there all of a sudden. Figured nobody's gonna say anything. Take a break. It seems like there should be more though. Well, yeah. Um, the the first of the stone planets with all the little creatures. Oh, that was great! Yeah, like oh, they look like a bunch of little babies and guys over there going, "They're gonna kill me!" <laughs> and they they turn into the the evil beast and eat their buddy, and he's he's like, "I hate it when I'm right." <laughs> well, yeah, and he's just great because Guy Fleegman was literally like crewman number six who was on one episode, died before the first commercial break, but he shows up in uniform uh, to see if he can get in on some of that signing autographs money and most people don't know who he is but at this point the crew that's left they don't give a shit anymore and they're like fine you hang out with us that's cool and And, yeah when he goes even at the end he's like another crew member (laughs) (laughs) right right and when he goes with them uh he's trying to he's trying to rationalize his situation as Oh shit! They're all falling into their roles. My role was to die immediately. And his freakout is amazing. His whole freakout is like, "I'm, I'm, uh, 
I'm ensign number six. My only no, no no. What if you're what if you're the plucky security a- security agent? You know what's like. You know they're trying to talk. Yeah. yeah, well they're trying to talk him down. And I like yeah. that he, he finally got a name role in the reboot. Yeah, mm. how he was like security chief. I, I forget the name they gave him, Rock. but it was a cool name. Yeah, Rock. But yeah, overall, just I mean, they end up they they end up saving the day. You know, pulling together, defeating the enemy, going, uh, getting back to their to, to Earth, and making the most dramatic entrance you've ever seen at any con that would not at all raise any alarms today if anybody tore through a building. (laughs) Well, and Patrick Stewart really kind of nails it because, yeah, there's a bit of them believing in themselves and becoming the heroes that they always pretended to be. But really what saves the day is the fans of the show who are the uber geeks who argue about the crazy scientific minutia of a fake ship uh, and all compare notes online and have been doing it for 20 years. And Justin Long is so great in this role, too. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. The whole scene when he's running the garbage out, trying to scream yeah. at his mom how important it is, what's going on. Like, and, and and the scene with the with the, when he's explaining to his parents about the, the uh, where he's going with the fireworks. <laughs> his parents are great, too. Yeah. Speaking of which. One of the things. Overall, I mean, the casting in this movie was just, on all levels, really, really good. Oh yeah. Um, Sigourney Weaver's uniform slowly disintegrating. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that happens every episode. That's why. Looking good. The clock There's always a... stops at one every episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then um, don't don't forget the ending where they they have the reboot of the series, which includes. Uh, Lalari. Oh, that's right, Jane Doe. And uh, and Sam Rockwell's back, and he actually gets a character. Yeah. No, what what I I like the whole love thing between uh, Tony Shalhoub and Lalari. The the whole thing, like at the very end, where she she turns off her thing, you know, the tentacles start coming up, and he's Tony Shalhoub's eyes are rolling back, and Sam Rockwell's like, "That's not right." (laughs) He's just like, "All right, I'm gonna go with this, whatever." So, I mean, it's honestly, across the board, casting is perfect in this. And for a parody-type show, a parody-type movie, it, it for the sci-fi thing, that's exactly what you needed. Yeah, and I think that a lot of parodies fall into low-effort jokes and puns, and isn't this thing we're making fun of kind of stupid, where I, I almost wonder if parody is the exact correct term. Like, I know it's the one that we'd all go for. And I'm sure that this has been called a Star Trek parody up and down, but maybe it's more correct. A comedic tribute. Yeah. Yeah. I could buy that. Definitely. The whole shtick isn't these shows are stupid and let's make not another Star Trek movie. And it even looks at the beginning, like they're going to be making fun of the fans, like all any other movie does. And then like, you know, like we pointed out several times, they end up being the ones that save the day. Mm-hmm. Well, and what's interesting is it's such a simple movie that seems like it could have gone many different directions, but it's really smartly written so that it's so subtle that you can enjoy it on different levels. But ultimately, it really is paying lip service to the fans um, like you guys had talked about earlier with Patrick Stewart. And that's and that is the thing that makes it so endearing, because, I mean, just like you said, Joel, it's not 
ha ha, look at these fans. Oh, they like to dress up. Oh, look at they, they memorize all this trivia from the show. They're the heroes, you know, because uh, Tim Allen and Sigourney Weaver, they were just acting. They didn't pay any attention to what was going on. And they, I, I love the conversations between Jason Nesmith and um, Brandon. Yes, you know, yes. The the back and forth between them. He's, you know, because Brandon is like his, you're right, Justin Long played this as his first role amazingly well because you, you can tell that Brandon has lived his whole life for this moment. All the That's things... I'll say all the things that he memorized. This is this is it. This is the big money shot for him. Especially when, when he calls, he gets the call on the com, and he's like, "It's it's all real." And he's like, "I knew it," because <laughs> he's going into that hole. I'm sorry, I know it wasn't real, and yeah, and yeah. and that's all of us. I mean, we all would like to believe that that stuff is real, but this is our uh, fantasy fulfillment. If you could have one TV show from the then that you suddenly discover was actually real, what would it be? Doctor Who. <laughs> Think about it, Joel. Take time. Um, Manimal. <laughs> Schoolhouse Rock. I'm just a bill sitting on Capitol. Imagine having a piece of rolled up talking parchment. That'd be worth a lot of money. Dude, you'd smoke it. Good point. <laughs> You're like, no, <laughs> no. Beanbag made a funny. I wasn't going to say it, Pat. I didn't say it. So we're still friends. So, Josh, what about you, man? <laughs> going to try and get get me to get you out of this shit, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you look like you got a shovel. Come over here and give me a hand. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how much more there really is to say about it. I, it's oh, the TV better. show. No, what TV show would you like to say? Oh, be real? TV show. Would you like to find out is actually real? From the then. Silk stockings. <laughs> so none of us is going to answer seriously. Yeah. Fuck it. Red... Right, so seriously, if I had to... Okay, let me think. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Red Shoe Diaries. <laughs> yeah, that was... Yeah. That wasn't a TV show. That was a movies. Um, that's, a, that's actually a good question. Uh, okay, well, are we assuming that we are therefore somehow... Like, okay... Like, if I pick I Dream of Genie, does that mean I have a genie? Sure. Then, yes, I Dream of Genie. <laughs> my example has become my answer. I'm going to stick with Doctor Who, then, because if I could have the TARDIS and fly around space and time, that'd be awesome. With you, we'd have to call it the Retardis. Oh. Shut up, Beanbag. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. I guess I deserve that one. <laughs> hmm. I'm trying to think. I mean, the the thing is, there's several shows where I'm like, oh, cool. I would love to have this be real. But at the same time, I'm thinking about some of the shit they went through. Right? Knight Rider. Nah. Uh, but that means you get Kit. Yeah, yeah, but then he also gets Carr. I don't know. I thought Carr was badass. Not if he's trying to kill you. True. But still, I mean, I have a badass person trying to kill you. Twilight Zone. Yeah, for me, my, yeah. my, my knee jerk is actually uh, Dollhouse. Ooh. Because, I mean, of... you've got some of the same themes in the new Netflix uh, series, Altered Carbon, but that is not a world I want to live in. No. The James, the James Cameron show? Yeah. No, the yeah. Um, Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon show. Joss yeah. Whedon. Oh, that's right. I, I knew some. Yeah, I knew that was somebody's big uh, debut show. Oh, it wasn't his debut. It was like. Was his... it? 
No, his first two were uh, Firefly and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, the house was later. Okay, then what am I thinking of? Oh, you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of uh, that Jessica Alba show. Manimal. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dark... Dark, Dark Angel. Angel. Dark Angel? Is that really? Is it really named something that lame? Hold on. That's what I'm thinking of. Who did that show? Yeah, whatever. Uh, that's completely... completely it is Dark Angel. Up. That's the name of it. That's yeah, Dark mm-hmm. Angel. And it is James Cameron. Yeah, that's the show I was thinking of. Anyway. So what... Okay, well, never mind. We're going to get way too off topic if I ask what that show is about. So, mine? Yes. Auto Man. That was the other one out of uh, between that and Manimal. Yeah. Auto Man, have a cursor, a little flying cursor that can draw whatever it is you need at the moment. I have never heard of this. You've show. never heard of really? Auto Man? <sighs> no. It has Desi Arnaz Jr. Oh, my God. Yeah. And That's not, you're not selling it. You're, you're giving it no, away at this point. It's the premise, not the execution yeah then there's <laughs> auto man he he comes out of the computer and he has a cursor that floats around him he's like cursor i need the auto i need uh i need a car and cursor draws the car and it becomes real Ooh, that's an even better choice that sounds like a very very good idea to have but a very very lame show to watch and, and thinking about it like if i were in dollhouse the People who got the coolest things to do were probably the dolls, and that's not awesome because like their personalities are are computer programs that are interchangeable. I'm changing my answer to heroes, but season one only. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. We could really go down the rabbit hole and talk about which hero you'd like to be. Peter Petrelli, obviously. Can I can I say something terrible? We're talking about never galaxy. seen heroes. I have never seen heroes. I haven't either. But have you seen Galaxy Quest? Several times. Woo! And when we come back... And now we're back, circle around. All right, I think it's time for a break. Yeah, yeah, when we come back, we'll uh, talk about uh, Seth MacFarlane's... uh, I'd call this another parody that doesn't fall into the same pitfalls. So it's it's a real nice then to now. Uh, His show, Star Trek, uh, done better than Star Trek, The Orville. Mm-hmm. We'll be back in a little bit. All right, we're back, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about Seth MacFarlane's The Orville. And uh want to talk about frequently when we look at media, we take a look at the critics' Uh, ratings. We'll take a look at Rotten Tomatoes. Well, in this one, I wanted to specifically lead off with that because uh, Rotten Tomatoes trashed the show with a 20% approval rating. Uh, a lot of people, uh, the consensus says an odd jumble of campiness and sincerity, homage and satire. The Orville never quite achieves liftoff. Well, that's 20% critic rating. Yeah. Yeah, for right. sure. Yeah. Well, well, but when you look at audience scores, you're talking uh, 93% positive from the audience. So, so this a huge goal. discrepancy. Yeah. yeah. So critics don't tell us what we like. Right. Well, and I do think we talked a little bit about this with A Million Ways to Die in the West. It's trendy to shit all over Seth MacFarlane and just decide to hate whatever he puts out because you find Family Guy offensive. Which is unfortunate because he's a creative guy. He's got a lot of talent. And... uh I don't know. I, I, I get it, but I don't. 
I, th- I think it's pretty much agreed that this show is we're, we're pretty much supporters of Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, and he's got yeah. a uh, got a great singing voice too. Yeah, yeah. He's a very talented man. Yeah, and I think that you could criticize the way it was maybe marketed because the trailers don't necessarily match up completely with what you get. True. And if someone wants to say, you know, I find the tone a little uneven, I'll say, okay. I'll even grant you that one. But what you get out of this is something that I love. Uh, and l- let's look at the people who are making it. Uh, of course, you've got your creator, Seth MacFarlane, who's also the stars, Captain Ed Mercer. Uh, Adrian Palicki, who uh, most of us would probably know best as Mockingbird from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yep. As Commander Kelly Grayson. Who um, did a... Uh pilot for a wonder woman tv series that never happened yeah very sad i mean it's easy to forget the adrian palicki uh wonder woman because gal gadot is so awesome true but we've seen her in a lot of things i mean just for the show gi joe she played lady J. red dawn she was in that one also true uh, she was in john wick you know oh so. yeah i forgot about her character in that that's right yep never seen it she's attractive as hell so. you've got to see john wick <laughs> yeah, she she is a very attractive woman. Yeah. Uh you've got Penny Johnson Gerald as the ship's doctor, Dr. Claire Finn. Uh she you're gonna see her if you see any political drama. She is a character actress that is constantly she was in absolute power. She was in twenty four. Uh that's usually like her uh wasn't she in House of Cards too? I think so. Yeah. Yep. She was in Deep Space Nine also. Oh yeah. So so yeah, she's a she political was. space adventurer. Exactly. <laughs> um, you've got Scott Grimes as uh, Ed Mercer's best friend and the helmsman, Lieutenant Gordon Malloy. God bless Scott Grimes. Ever since I saw Party of Five, I fell in love with Scott Grimes. And then he went on to be on ER, and uh, he's done some other t- TV shows. He's been on Family Guy, which is probably what got him here, plus a lot of um, you know odds and ends films and things. And he's, he's a great smartass. Critters. Right, he's just one of those guys that we just kind of... 1986, Critters. Yep, he's just a very likable guy. Yeah. Uh, we've got Peter Macon playing uh, Lieutenant Commander Bordas. I love Bordas. Yeah, Bordas, th- that race is definitely... Uh, Klingons with the serial numbers filed off, and they decide to distance it one further step by saying all members of the race are male. Yeah. Yeah, which leads into a really interesting episode. Indeed. The uh, beautiful and talented Halston Sage is uh, Lieutenant uh, Lara Catan, who is the strongest person on the ship. And also the tiniest. True. Was in the... Um, Isaac might be stronger. They say that sometimes. That's true. Yeah. They're not actually sure which of them is stronger. If you guys get a chance, uh, The Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. Oh, such a great movie. Yeah. Halston Sage was in that. I wanted to see that one. I remember seeing the trailer. And she's just got this combination of just being breathtakingly beautiful and uh, just having this natural charisma. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm still still vulnerable at the same time, despite playing the strongest character. Well, that's the thing that I love about that character. And I think you nailed it on the head that I could never pinpoint what it was. But that's exactly it. She's the strongest, but she's also the most vulnerable at the same time. Right. She's the youngest and she is really kind of self-conscious about her inexperience as compared to the rest of the crew. 
Mm-hmm. It's, uh, the plot behind her is so few of her race get get into the Union uh, Federation or whatever of ships that, that they fast track the ones that do. So she's one of the youngest commanders, or not commanders, one of the youngest officers right. in the fleet. And a great call out and cameo when she's talking to her mom and dad. Her dad is the guy who played the uh, hologram doctor on Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. Robert Picardi. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, you've got Jay Lee, which is interesting casting because he's usually not an actor. He's no, usually he's crew. Right. He's done a lot of voice work, but yep. otherwise, yeah, he's like a production assistant. Pat, you know what he's what he does on Rick and Morty? No. He's in, in the animation department. Huh. Yeah. yeah, and this is the guy who plays uh, John Lamar. Uh, nice little homage there to... Uh... Reading Rainbow. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, Mark Jackson in the suit as Isaac. Doing his best data impression, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding, man. That, that is, every time he talks, I'm like, it sounds like Brent Spiner. <laughs> but he, that character is so like, there's so many facets to that character that I just, uh, the episode, especially where him and uh, the doctor crash land. Yeah. It's just fantastic. <laughs> the, the, the pilot, he's like, you will find me to be your, your, <laughs> What do you what do you say your your best uh ah crap I lost it that was fun yeah <laughs> let's see at that again the, at the beginning of the series you've got Larry Joe Campbell as uh Steve Newton who's like the chief engineer until mm-hmm. he retires this oh. I'm I'm completely convinced that in his mind he wrote this role for a Chris Farley every time I hear a Larry Joe Campbell talk it sounds like if Chris Farley had lived and was you know in his middle middle age doing shows like this. I haven't even gotten to his that episode yet. I guess. Yeah, me either. The retirement yeah, must be one of the last few. Oh, it's good because yeah, he's still working in Firestorm. I, I was pretty sure that Firestorm was the episode that he retired in. Well, that's well, we the one haven't I haven't finished it yet. I've, yeah. I've only started it. Oh. I'm only like half an hour in. So. Whatever. I'm, I mean, that's not exactly a, a, a giant spoiler. So. Yeah, he's kind of a bit part w- with regards to the rest of the crew anyway. He's just one of those people that you see multiple times. He's not main cast. Right. Uh, and uh, Nor- the voice of Norm MacDonald as the uh, goo crew member, Yafit. Who's just great. I I love Norm MacDonald in anything he does. True. His, well, seeing... I'll say oh, his sorry, delivery no. is spot on for everything. He, he's every comedian's favorite comedian. And I love the scene where he's dragging the guitar down the hall. <laughs> I don't know why that tickles me, but it does. You've also got, as the spouse of uh, Lieutenant Commander Bordas, you've got Chad L. Coleman uh, playing Clyden. Hmm. And Chad Coleman from The Wire to uh, Walking Dead, like this guy is always a, a huge character. And he's playing, uh, he's very clearly the wife in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, I'm very impressed with the casting and the performance. Your son and I will have dinner alone again. Yeah, when he's uh, yeah (laughs) eating the Rocky Road ice cream, watching TV. What's he watching? uh, That was such a great scene when they just locked eyes. (laughs) Is it My Fair Lady or no? What was he watching? Uh, I am yeah. You are 16, going on 17. That is uh, Sound of Music. Yeah. No. Yeah. Is it? Shit. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's when the, uh, the Nazi officer. Yeah, it? you're right. You're right. Yeah. Oh, and I didn't even realize that was Chad Coleman behind the makeup until just now. Oh, yeah. 
holy crap. I just looked it up on on um, IMDb. When you said that, I'm like, is he who I think he was? And then I look it up and he absolutely is who you think he, he is. Reese. Oh, my God. Uh, let's hop into some trivia here. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Bordas resembles a Klingon, as we've already said. Yep. Bordas was the name of the ship that transported Kmepek in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation and was also commanded by Duras. That's crazy. I knew there was going to be some tie-ins, but I, I'd been avoiding all this stuff, just enjoying the show for what it was. But I knew that there was going to be this kind of stuff. That's insane. Uh, Victor Garber's character... Uh, Admiral Halsey, who's responsible for Ed getting his command in the first place. It, it, well, his character is also the name of an American fleet admiral in the U.S. Navy. At the start of American involvement in World War II in the Pacific in 1943, he was made commander of the Third Fleet, the post he held through the rest of the war. Halsey's flagship early in the war was USS Enterprise, which became the inspiration for the starship, of course, in Star Trek. Wow, that's such a deep cut. That's the thing that amazed me about this show is that it was, it was, you, you go, hey, it's a Star Trek show made by the guy who does Family Guy, and you're expecting fart jokes and all that. This this show was a lot smarter than it deserved to be. Yeah, I mean, you've got brains and you've got a hell of a lot of heart. Oh, yeah. I it, what, oh, Go ahead. I was going to say, I was about to just kind of echo what Mike said. When I first saw the, the, the trailer for it, or the trailers, and I was thinking... So it's going to be like dick and fart jokes in space. And uh, after watching 10 episodes almost now, <laughs> it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, occasionally, but. Well, I, and even the humor, like occasionally there's some lowbrow humor, but most of the humor comes from the fact that the USS Enterprise in Star Trek is the best of the best. It's their brand new flagship. Uh, their highest trained, most intelligent crew. This is a crew full of fuck-ups and average to below average members of their federation who are put on a starship because there are more starships than there are competent crews. Mm-hmm. And it's like, let's see these guys, what the day-to-day is. They're yeah, still they're, comp- they're, you know, they're a lot more casual, fly by the seat of their pants with the rules and, and you know, a little bit more insubordination, possibly some you know, yeah. disrespect here and there. Like the, the elevator guy. Yeah. Oh, I love the elevator guy. <laughs> well, and I, they also answer a lot of the questions that I, I used to have when I watch a show. Like, what do they do in their downtime? What are they doing when they're just kind of cruising through space from one place to the next? Because they're sitting there watching a TV show or whatever at one point on the big right. screen. I, I like how this is almost like, you know, occasionally just a slice of life. I for, for for these people. What you just said about the downtime, I think my favorite downtime moment of the entire first season had to have been when um on Firestorm after uh oh what's her name? She's in the boxing in the boxing mm-hmm. ring. Oh yeah. <laughs> the holodeck thing. Uh the holodeck and then uh Lamar and uh Malloy show up and they're dressed up in powdered wigs with pistols and like yeah. we reserved it and then a second later Boris shows up and he's wearing the powdered wig. He's like, Did I miss it? <laughs> just, there's little I mean the little or, not the, the karaoke when Bordish is about to start singing and my heart will go on I so wanted to hear that <laughs> right. that's the gag yeah. this show definitely sold me from one particular moment it was when John Lamar raised his hand and asked if they'd be allowed to bring soda onto the bridge because the last <laughs> captain let them do it yep that's fantastic and you see him drinking the soda later mm-hmm. it's just like we've all worked with that guy yep 
No, and and I think that's what makes this so relatable is that you look at this you look at this show and you can identify with everybody. And it's not just uh, jokes about how these people are average people who are bad at their job. There, I, there's been a lot of criticism I've seen uh, leveled at this show talking about how, well, why do they keep going to uh, 20th century pop culture references? I turn it back on anyone who says that. It's like, well, go back and watch Next Gen. How many times do they keep going back to Shakespeare? It's mm-hmm. because the crew of the Enterprise are Shakespeare sort of people. These are real housewives of New York sort of people. Yeah. Yeah, that makes complete sense. It, it tells you a lot about the differences between the crew, where you've got the highly literate, thoughtful, considered, educated enterprise versus these guys who are just like your average middle of the road. The C team. Yeah. yeah they, and a, lot, a lot of them are on either their last leg or their last chance. They're, they're not exactly the cream of the crop. Yeah. No. Some people are just starting their careers like Alara Catan, who might someday be on an enterprise type ship. Yeah. Then and, you, well, then you've got Gordon who, you know, is having a hard time getting placed because he draws dicks and everything. Right. <laughs> you know? And then you got, you know, I mean, Isaac, who's there to observe humanity. There was probably some guy in, in like the, you know, the bureaucratic, you know, placement department of the union where he's like, I can't put this guy on the Enterprise because he wants to see what you know life is actually like. You know that's just a you know. So he's like, I'm going to stick him on a mid-level ship, and he's going to find out what real people live like. Well, there's also the fact that Isaac's entire race are space racists. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, yeah. there is that too. <laughs> so, like, where are we going to put this fucking guy? <laughs> yeah. Isaac going to go around and say, "Well, no, it's just a fact. You're inferior." <laughs> Can we come and help Isaac? No, you are feeble and weak. <laughs> Jeez, and then when and then uh, Lamar's like, why don't you will, just give him a wedgie? Faster without you. <laughs> yeah, this is, does have a little bit of a slow start. Uh, there are a bit of a her her my ex wife jokes that uh, are fine for a little bit and uh, get old fast, but they move past that really quickly. Yeah, and how, okay, here's a question: How far into this into this uh, season have you guys seen? Pat and I both stopped on Firestorm, episode 10, so we got two episodes left. And I've seen the whole thing. Okay, I've seen the whole thing. All right, yeah, there's... there's. Okay, so then you've seen Cupid's Dagger. Oh, yeah. With... Yeah. I... Uh, What's-his-face? Um, oh, Rob Derulio? Yeah, Derulio, Rob Lowe as Derulio, playing pretty much the same guy that he plays on Parks and Rec. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then don't forget, in the episode Priya, we've got uh, Charlie's Theron making a a guest appearance. Mm-hmm. And yeah. man, that was the, when I, when I said something in the chat about how this, ep, you know, this show was opening up some serious ethical questions. The ending of that episode, Priya, I mean, I don't, I, this is still new enough. Do we need to worry about spoilers? Well, the thing is, is I kind of want to sell some people who haven't seen the show on it, who maybe uh, took a look at rotten tomatoes, or maybe they've got a bunch of friends that are just like, I hate family guy. Yeah. So, Fucks up Seth MacFarlane. Everything he does is automatically racist. So no spoilers. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, but I mean, I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll say it without spoiling. But it, I mean, it opened up such a possible can of worms ethically that I, I was like, I was like, man, you know, the fact that they just gloss over that and just move on. I'm like, that's, that's kind, that's kind of a hard one to, to, to swallow, like that, because there's so, there's so many things that, like, if that was a, a Star Trek Next Generation moment. 
They'd probably like spend the rest of the season talking about it. Well, and then you look at an episode like Krill, where uh, that that whole ending where there's no good option, but you take the best option that you have. Yeah. And the repercussions of it ultimately, whereas he did the right thing in that situation, but at the same time, he may have made things worse. Sure. And sometimes they make the right call with what uh, the viewers morals or ethics believe, and they get kind of shafted for it. And I don't want to spoil the ending of the episode I'm talking about. Right. But uh, they're constantly looking at real world issues in a way Star Trek used to do and hasn't done pretty much since Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Well, we we mentioned about a girl, and that's one of them that when the ending happened, I was like, uh, wait, what just happened? Yeah, right. I think that's the one that Josh was referencing earlier too. Yeah. Yeah. Again, without giving anything away, but no, and and I have a lot more respect for Seth MacFarlane after watching these because I and, was well, I was, yeah, I, was I was expecting like I, said, I was expecting Family Guy in space. What I got was an, a really good homage to Next Generation. Yeah, I mean, you can see that he just wanted to make more Star Trek, and he's been watching Star Trek for the last 20 years going, they're doing it wrong. Yeah. And the only way he could get this on to TV would be to make a comedy. So he embraces that. He's good at it, but he loves Star Trek. So he's like, okay, we're going to make Star Trek with the uh, serial numbers filed off, and we're going to do enough of it uh, as a comedy that people will recognize that this is my style of show and you can just see the love he has for the material beaming through this because it's Mm -hmm. also much more optimistic with that kind of wide-eyed wonder exploring the galaxy than star trek has been for decades i mean i i I like that he's taking a more realistic version of star trek as far as like what would people really act like in these different in these little situations and like even though they're space travelers, sometimes they still have that sense of awe and wonder when when certain things happen. Whereas, like that, almost never happened in Star Trek. You know, every everything that they came up against, they're just like, oh yeah, it's another one of these. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you can tell, you know, like you were saying that that he, this is seems like it's his passion project. It feels like, and there are a lot of of uh, references to. I mentioned this earlier before the show to old Trek, like um, in. Cupid Stagger, that's kind of a throwback to the drunken episode of Next Gen or the Sulu, you know, sword fighting episode of the original or Majority Rule, which Mike equated with the Black Mirror episode. It, it ties in nicely with the uh, the Nazi episode of um, uh, the original series. Mm-hmm. So they kind of he's kind of taking some of that original source material and retelling it for a modern age in a different way. But I think he's just kind of setting himself up so that he can continue the show. Um, because well, and he's making it more relatable. I mean, because yeah. you've got the the Starship Enterprise who is never going to break the Prime Directive. They're never going to, you know, go in there and touch a, un, an unsullied um, culture that hasn't, you know, that's only at the Bronze Age for one of the episodes. But he turns around. They're never going to make two ambassadors fall in love with each other. Right. To to yeah. stop a war, which I thought was hilarious. But the other thing I like about it is that he's got it's it's not so much the big gags that get me with him, it's just the little stuff. It's like when they had um I forget who they had, they were in the meeting room 
and they're talking and at one point uh uh ed mercer mercer turns to you know turns to boris and goes you know boris we need to have like some water and pretzels pretzels yeah. out here on the <laughs> yeah. table for people and he and boris is like it will be done you know it's just I like not fail you. i will not fail you i will not fail you <laughs> it's just and that then, little stuff the other one was when they're going through the accident report he's like and one of the crew members got soy sauce on his shirt. <laughs> yes, he wanted me to. Was it in the report? Or, yeah, we gotta get better staff. And then there are moments that are true McFarlane-esque type things, like where they're in the prank war, and they're in the room, and uh, Scott Grimes' legs leg falls out of the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> and no. the, the, the leg cutting off prank though. That was that. Once I realized that they can regenerate that leg, I was like, "That's brilliant! That's so funny!" Well, well we had to see the gimpy leg joke coming a mile away. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Now, what I think he did though is the creation of Yafit as his out, because Yafit is crass, always being a horn dog for the doctor. It's it's Norm McDonald's, and he has no he he only has one setting, and that's Norm. <laughs> so I think that may be partially. I mean, some of the biggest laughs, straight up laughs that I got while watching this show were from Yafit. Like when, um, oh, did, crap, I don't know where you guys are. When Yafit's looking for his missing piece. Oh, haven't seen that one yet. Haven't seen that yeah. one? Okay. Really? Is that at the end of, it's, because I only watched the last episode last night, but I saw the, I binge watched the first 10 or 11. Yeah, I think that was in New Dimensions. Oh, that could be. Yeah. But I think that's where he has his out for the crass humor, as he called, you know, hey, Norm. I want to do this straight lace, but I still want to have a little bit of my touch in there for the comedy. Can you come in and just be this crass green blob of glue? And you also got to wonder how much of his lines are, are scripted and how much is just him ad-libbing. Like Seth MacFarlane says, okay, this is the situation he's in. You know, say what you want to say. You know? um, I want, in my heart of hearts, I want it to be 100%. <laughs> yeah, there's a moment right at the beginning. It's probably even in the first episode that I think sums up the show from Seth MacFarlane's perspective, it's when he's sitting in Admiral Halsey's office and saying, I've been waiting my entire life to do this. I'm ready. That's Seth MacFarlane. He's always wanted to be a starship captain from the time he was a teenager making awkward Star Trek fan films in his garage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. No, and I, you know, and that, it was also one of the, you know, Let's sit down with Suzanne. We're going to watch this for the show. What is it? It's Star Trek by the guy who did family guy. And she's, all right, let's let's go with this. She sat with me and binge watched it next to me. She loves it. I mean, he's a much more intelligent writer than people give him credit for. Well, you, absolutely. You can't do that kind of crass humor. You can't do the Family Guy without being smart. Does well, that make sense? Let's, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying because that means that while the Family Guy is, it is what it is. Yeah, and there are a lot more low effort jokes in Family Guy. Mm, but at the same oh, time, think... he's got – sometimes it gets smart. Well, this... when, when you have a show that, that pretty much has a, uh, a a quota on jokes per minute, you know, not all of them are going to be good. And not all of them are going to be you know bright, intelligent, well-written jokes. Some of them are, are going to be toilet humor. I mean – Right. But it's, it's a fairly – it's a fairly smart show though. I mean a lot of the stuff they talk about on there, they're doing in, in a South Park type uh, – um, style but not as smart as south park but one of the things they, that they i think they may delve into the the, the the sewers every now and then but the overall arc you know is is definitely an intelligent one in that show I, I think one of the things that we have to point out about this show outside of the writing the storytelling the 
everything is the special effects. Oh, um, legit awesome. It's it's incredibly well done. Um, very, everything very makes sense. That that were noticeably took me out of the scene. Mm-hmm. Like one one that did was when Alara was you know opening up the, the the two doors that you know collapsed under her strength. It looked very CGI, but that's again that's nitpicking. You know? I mean, overall, it's way above and beyond. Again, it's it's at that next generation level of special effects, but in this day and age, yeah, yeah, I agree. Open that jar, can of pick, or no, can you open that jar of pickles for me? A jar can of pickles. Yeah, because that's what they come in a jar can. <laughs> Shut up. But no, you you are that was correct. Jar Jar's brother, Jar Can. Jeez. <laughs> Let it go, beanbag. God. Damn it! You promised. <laughs> you did promise me. So. <laughs> I did. Uh. So have we? Uh, Without giving out any more spoilers on this, do we want to do thumbs up, thumbs down? Yeah. Well, before we do that, uh, let's say uh, favorite and least favorite episode so far. What you've seen. Um, Not everybody at once. I closed out. I just had that open to the episode, so I thought we'd do that. and then. Uh-huh, <laughs> gotcha. Favorite episode. See, because it's going to be hard for me to choose a favorite. Um... I gotta go with the out of the nine I've seen so far. I have to go with Cupid's Dagger for my favorite. I might have to agree with you on that one. I think that just the sheer ludicrousness of the entire situation. And like you said, yeah, the the Seth, the, the commander and the and, and the captain both falling in love with and trying to seduce the same guy. It was. Mm. <laughs> I think. I'm I think going, very, oh, go sorry. ahead. I don't know. I was gonna say I think I'm gonna go with about a girl. Because it's Ooh. the first time where they practically just do a straight Trek episode. And I was impressed. Like when, when that, when About a Girl kicked in, when you got what the plot was about, it was like, all right, let's yeah. see where this is going. And I watched it. And one of the things that, that Susie said after the end of it was, she goes, it was a rough, it was a rough ending, but it ended with the parents saying, this is still our child. We're still going to love him. You know, and that yeah. was, I mean, it, it, they handled that. I mean, I was ex- expecting so much more because it's, it's pretty early on in the second episode. I was expecting so much, you know, goofy humor or something from it, but they handled it so with, I hate to say it, but this maturity to the, to the whole situation. Yeah. I'm going to go with Krill, and this is for, this is going, this is be, primarily for selfish reasons, just because I, Watching Scott Grimes and and Seth MacFarlane play off each other for the episode just was awesome. Plus, it was a, a the whole moral conundrum that they end up in is just it's very well done. Yeah, my least favorite uh, thinking about it is probably going to have to be uh, Into the Fold. As much as I love Claire in that episode, and Isaac's pretty fun. I get that her children are supposed to be annoying, but uh, her children are annoying enough that they brought the episode down to least favorite for me. Well, I mean, it was very clunky writing with those. I mean, whoever wrote that episode, whoever was in charge of writing for the kids, obviously doesn't know how kids talk, interact, whatever, all that, you know, like it was just very, there's a lot of clunky dialogue in that episode. Yeah. And that's the thing is the kids being irritating is, 
part of the point. It's a major plot point, and it's kind of how children were always portrayed on Star Trek. Still, not as much fun to watch as the rest. My least favorite, I would go with Majority Rule. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Huh. I just it 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 felt really uh, forced for one. Um, I didn't like that the whole thing. I, I liked the concept behind it. It was interesting, a whole society based on, you know, based on a societal, you know, true democracy. Which, yeah. I mean, Reddit upvotes, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what, kind of what it felt like. But um, I don't know. First of all, the whole it, it felt very forced. It was another one of those clunky writing things. The whole him getting up on the statue and grinding on it and grinding on it and grinding on it and kept talking. You know, it's like it, it just it, it felt very, very clunky, that scene. And then the whole. It really was over the top dramatic at the very end. He gets nine million, nine hundred nine, whatever, you know. And I'm not gonna, you know, spoilers and all that stuff. But like, it was just, it was too much. I did, I just, I don't know. I, I couldn't. It, it felt like it was just too contrived and, well, Maybe for lack too, of a better word, again, clunky. Too tropey. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it was definitely preachy, but it was preachy in a very Star Trekky way. Well, and I have to, I, I mentioned, I wanted to make sure I pointed this out, but um, John Favreau was a consultant on 11 of the 12 episodes, and I didn't realize this until just now, but he directed the first one. Yeah. Hmm. Oh. I actually noticed that when the, on the crawler. Very cool. So, another big name tied into that, along with Rob Lowe and Charlie Theron. Rob Lowe was so awesome. <laughs> I mean, because I was, I mean, if, after watching the first couple ones, you know, it's like initially with the with the girls, I'm like, yeah, how how is this going to play out? And then after like the first the first two episodes, I'm like, yeah, let's all watch this. And the girls were in on it too, especially when Rob Lowe showed up. They're like, he is exactly the guy from Parks and Rec. The whole mm-hmm. the whole way he played that out was fantastic. So thumbs up, <clears throat> thumbs down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just obvious. It's an overwhelming thumbs up for both. I I, I think we're going to have another one of those eight thumbs up. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, you know, I, I, thumbs up absolutely for both. And I, I legitimately think that The Orville is one of my new favorite shows on TV. I was I'm su- looking forward to season two, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I was surprised you hadn't seen it yet, Joel. I, I literally, I'd seen a lot of people talking about it. But I'm like, I need to be in the right mindset. And I just kept expecting a dick and fart joke in space. And so I was like, I'm not really in that mode. And when we decided to do the show, I'm like, okay, it gives me a good reason to watch it. And I, after the first episode, I'm like, holy crap, this is not what I was expecting. And I, it reminded me of when I saw Next Gen the first time when it first started airing. Yeah. Yeah, when, when uh, I was all in on the show when I first saw Seth MacFarlane talking about it on, I think it was Conan you know, years ago or not years ago, months ago, um, when it was first in development. And, and it was just one of those things where I hadn't watched it, even though I fully intended to from the very beginning. And I was very glad when we decided to do this as a show. I was like, finally, I'm just going to force myself to watch it. I don't know why I haven't. Yeah. I have it set up on my DVR even, and I just never watched it. Excellent. And I'm thumbs up on both. Yeah, we all are. So, Joel, what do we have for next week? Next week, we are doing a food show again. We're going to be talking about party foods and dropping. <laughs> Yay! That's how excited I got. <laughs> well, if uh, you want to tell us about uh, 
the your favorite episode of the Oroville or you think we're all horrible people for liking it, you can uh, give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. And we'll tell you how you're wrong. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, remember, if you're looking for our older stuff, we're on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry, TalkShoe, and Podverse FM. And if you want to give us a call, give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727. Mike always tunes out when I have already given the number at the end of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Almost every week. And this this time I actually have an excuse. I am so doped up on uh, NyQuil right now. It's amazing. NyQuil and Sudafed, that's all you need anymore to get high. (laughs) Tide Pods. You don't say. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I (laughs) forgot I wasn't muted. Is there something you'd like to share with the class?